President Tsai Ing-wen on Monday received a delegation from New York-based nonprofit organization, the National Committee on American Foreign Policy. Tsai said the organization has long focused on the state of security in the Taiwan Strait. She also said that U.S. President Joe Biden's consistent approval of U.S. arms sales to Taiwan represented the implementation of his commitment to that security. Let's hear from her. I want to extend a warm welcome to Ambassador Susan Elliott, President and CEO of the NCAFP, who is once again leading a delegation to Taiwan and paying a visit to the presidential office. Taiwan greatly values the NCAFP, which is an important think tank and platform for exchange. All of our guests today have long been good friends of Taiwan. I would like to take this opportunity to thank you all for your long-standing attention to the security situation across the Taiwan Strait. You all play an important role in the continued deepening of Taiwan-U.S. ties. We are grateful to the Biden administration for approving six military sales to Taiwan since assuming office, demonstrating the great importance the U.S. places on Taiwan's national security needs and its commitment to Taiwan's security. Tsai also commented that Taiwan and the U.S. are important strategic and economic partners. She added, the close relationship between the two countries form the foundation of freedom and stability in the Indo-Pacific region, adding that the two partners would continue to cooperate on the defense of democracy and other shared values. After the DPP's defeat in the local elections last month, voices are calling for a government reshuffle. President Tsai Ing-wen and the DPP's leadership on Sunday held a meeting to discuss the next steps for the executive yuan, which is reportedly going to resign en masse in January. Already, Minister of the Interior Xu Guoyong tendered his resignation on Monday, citing his recent poor health. Originally, Interior Minister Xu Guoyong had been scheduled to take part in an interpolation session at the Legislative Yuan. Deputy Interior Minister Hua Jingqun appeared in his stead. The minister has long had asthma and spinal problems. Last week he had several asthma attacks, so today he's taking the day to rest and perhaps see a doctor. In private conversations, the minister has mentioned several times that he might leave. The executive yuan later issued a statement saying that Xu had tendered his resignation to Premier Su Denchang, citing personal health issues. Su responded saying that he hoped Xu would be able to continue working with the executive team. However, the timing of Xu's resignation has given rise to much speculation, as it came just one day after President Tsai Ing-wen met with Vice President Lai Ting-de, Premier Su and other party officials to discuss a government reshuffle. They decided that the upcoming plans for the leaders in the government and ministries will be discussed after the end of the current legislative session. Appointed ministry officials don't govern in terms. The position is decided by how good their governance is. This is a decision of the government and the executive UN. I respect it. Officials come and go. We should all make the most of our time in office and do what needs to be done. Officials did not speak at length on the matter, but reports say that there is more than a reshuffling on the horizon. According to Wu Zijia, the head of online magazine My Formosa, the executive yuan will resign en masse before the new legislative session on February 1st. He says former Vice President Chen Jianren may take over as Premier. 
I think that this upcoming reshuffle will be more comprehensive to better meet the expectations that the public has of the DPP. After the DPP's defeat in the local elections, President Tsai is expected to announce new cabinet heads after the current legislative session ends in January next year. The DPP will hold a by-election in just over a month to choose its chairperson after President Tsai Ing-wen stepped down from the role. Vice President Lai ching is believed to be a favor for the role among party members, but his office says he remains undecided on the matter. Lai met with Tsai over the weekend when they were believed to have discussed both the chair by-election and the 2024 presidential race. Tao Yuan Mayor Zheng Wen-san have been regarded as a likely pick for DPP chair in the coming by-election. But with National Taiwan University recently revoking his master's degree due to plagiarism, his candidacy now looks unlikely. With the DPP making adjustments, I think we still need to wait for the party to reach a majority consensus. The DPP has what it takes to get through this by-election and prepare itself for the presidential and legislative elections. I hope everyone will put their worries aside. Vice President Lai Qingde on Sunday met with President Tsai Ing-wen at the presidential residence, where they reportedly discussed his plans to run in the by-election. Reports say the plan is for Tsai to focus on her presidency, while Lai runs the party and focuses on a presidential bid in 2024. Uh, I won't comment on the by-election because I want to maintain the integrity of the process. I am also unsure who will be running. Chen Chimai was mum on the by-election, but some factions within the DPP are open about their support for Lai. I personally quite agree with Lai running. Our chair will have to undertake review and improve plans for the party before making changes. So I really hope the whole party can come to a consensus and can work together for the DPP. Lai's office has issued a statement saying that it acknowledges there are different opinions within the party and that Lai has not made any decisions yet. The DPP's task moving forward will be to gather public opinion and implement changes accordingly. The party is set to hold its chairperson by-election in mid-January. Taipei Mayor Ko Wenzhe and Taipei Mayor-elect Jiang Wan'an on Monday came together for a handover ceremony in Taipei. The two exchanged gifts and discussed their plans for New Year's Eve. Jiang says he hopes Ko will continue contributing to the city as an advisor in the future. As a goodwill present, Taipei Mayor-elect Jiang Wan'an gave concert tickets to Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe and his family. In exchange, Ke gifted Jiang a volume on social housing. This moment of the two posing for a photo has caught media attention, as Ke appeared to point to the book with his middle finger. Ke's team responded to the incident, saying that Ke's pose carried no special meaning, explaining that the mayor often uses his middle finger to point at things. In his address, Mayor Ke offered Jiang some tips on how to run the city. The team is very used to directness. What's a difficult part of fiscal discipline? It's that everyone wants to please the public, so there may not be so much rain on spending there. I hope I can get filled in early on issues like the delays in big infrastructure projects, such as Taipei Dome. Some reports say that Ke may be concerned that the systems he established may be dissolved under the new administration. Meanwhile, Jiang said that out of 24 engineering projects in Taipei, his top priority was Taipei Dome. 
Taipei Dome will be a test for the new mayor's brains. It was estimated that operations would start in June, then that was pushed to September. I think that the fastest timeline is, as I promised, that construction at Taipei Dome will wrap up within the first year of my term. Jiang also invited Ke to join him at Taipei's New Year Countdown event, adding that he hoped Ke would continue contributing to the city as an advisor in the future. Mayor Ke will stay on as my advisor. Of course, I hope he can join me at the New Year's Countdown to ring in the new year with the citizens of Taipei. Every year on New Year's Eve, you'll find me at home reading or sleeping. I only attended these past few years because I was the mayor, so don't count me in. Jiang will be inaugurated as Taipei mayor on December 25th. He says he will review all matters regarding the city's administration on a rolling basis while continuing work on good policies launched by Ke. The high-speed rail is a vital link in Taiwan's transportation network, but some of the HSR network tunnels are getting old. The High-Speed Rail Corporation is carrying out a major project to scan their tunnels for cracks. Engineers are using lasers to slowly check every centimeter of tunnel for tiny faults. It will take a year to scan all 52 tunnels in the network. Surveyors in reflective jackets head out late at night with a 60-kilogram laser tunnel scanner. They take the emergency ladder onto the tracks and get on with the job. The machine emits red laser lights, advancing at a gentle pace of just 0.7 kilometers an hour. The device takes a 360-degree rotational scan of the tunnel. Any crack longer than half a millimeter will be detected. Currently, the old tunnels that we need to pay attention to are mainly in the Taipei metro area because this is where construction occurred earlier. The high-speed rail network is 350 kilometers long and includes 52 tunnels. In fact, tunnels represent about one-fifth of the entire HSR line. But automatic scans by machines aren't enough. Surveyors need to be on site and they have to work at night. It will take a year to scan the entire network nationwide. The longest tunnel is Bagua Shan Tunnel, approximately 7.3 kilometers long. We scan 700 meters a day, so we'll need about two weeks to complete the scan. Normal aging can cause cracks to form, as can earthquakes. This is the first time the scanning process has been made public. Engineers hope that by scanning the entire network, they can reduce serious risks and ensure passenger safety. With a TSMC semiconductor plant in Arizona nearing the start of operations, rumors have arisen that the company is planning to exit Taiwan entirely. Officials have denied that to be the case, and Foreign Minister Joseph Wu on Monday also refuted rumors that TSMC was under U.S. pressure to open the new plant in the U.S. Wu said China was to blame for the rumor, saying China's disinformation campaign online was a serious issue. TSMC's new 5-nanometer fab in Arizona is expected to hold an event on Tuesday, marking the arrival of the first batch of equipment at the factory. Meanwhile, in Taiwan, the focus is on whether this plant means the company will slowly exit the industry in Taiwan. 
Some lawmakers have even suggested that TSMC was under pressure from the U.S. government to open fabs in the U.S. Especially since semiconductors are an industry that we excel in, it begs the question of whether there was some kind of secret agreement worked out with the U.S. I can resolutely tell lawmakers that the answer is no. Secondly, on the issue of taking Taiwan out of the question, I have already told lawmakers no on that too. This is a demonstration of our industrial strength, as we are expanding into other markets. The more serious issue that we have taken note of is China incessantly expanding its influence online, which we see as the real attempt at erasing Taiwan, or you could say hollowing out Taiwan. Foreign Minister Joseph Wu made clear that China is behind the majority of rumors of U.S. pressure on TSMC and that Beijing aims to affect public sentiment in Taiwan. Meanwhile, lawmakers also expressed concern over whether Taiwan and the U.S. could work out a bilateral trade agreement before the end of the year. In our report, particularly on the time frame, our talks are currently focused on relatively uncontroversial issues, such as the facilitation of trade. So we will be working hard on pushing this for the remainder of the year. Lawmakers also asked the foreign minister whether he was aware ahead of time of what AIT director Sandra Oddkirk was going to say at her press conference, which was held only three days after local elections. Before that press conference, she spoke to me. She said that after the elections, there may be some Taiwanese who would worry that the results would impact Taiwan-U.S. relations. She came out to let everyone know that the relationship would not be affected in the slightest. With the KMT wins in the local elections and TSMC set to begin chip manufacturing in the U.S., all eyes are on the Taiwan-U.S. relationship and whether a bilateral trade agreement is on the horizon. Kaohsiung is going all out with its New Year's countdown event, which this year will feature a double-sided performance stage visible from both front and back. Let's hear from the city's mayor. We have an exciting lineup. When I saw it, I thought, wow, it's going to be great. We have the double-sided stage. We have Accuse 5 as an opening act and fireworks shows on two days, on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, both in different places. I think Kaohsiung has the best event in all of Taiwan. The one-of-a-kind concert will take place at the Dream Mall, with one side of the stage facing Zhonghua Road and the other side facing Tenggong Road. Each of the sides has a different theme, symbolizing Kaohsiung leaping into the future. At midnight, fireworks will light up the sky for 180 seconds to ring in the new year. One of Taipei's traditional Chinese herb apothecaries has revolutionized its business. The company's new interactive experience center lets visitors take part in preparing their own herbs. Students from across Asia come to learn about how herbs are used in Taiwan. The center is also working closely with restaurants to provide herbal mixtures. The store hopes the new model will make herbs more attractive to younger generations. A brand new renovated store where the most ancient herbal medicine tools are on display. Rare and precious medicinal ingredients are carefully preserved here. This used to be a wholesale warehouse for Chinese medicinal herbs. Step inside this walk-in fridge at 5 degrees and the collections get even more fascinating. These are wholesale packets that we designed for restaurant clients. These are our medicinal soup packets. 
In order to counter the stereotype that Chinese herbal apothecaries are just for older customers, Chen Qingniu turned this warehouse into an interactive experience center. I don't know. Weighing the herbs, picking them, and packaging them, customers can take charge of the whole process from start to finish. These special classes attract students from near and far, even from South Korea, Japan, and Indonesia. It's my first time, and also um, it really brings. Uh, this is maybe Taiwanese traditions and how the people in here um, do CTM. Coming here, visitors can explore the world of herbs with all their senses. You can put herbs into toothpaste, essential oils, and even mosquito spray. The 5,000-year-old tradition of Chinese herbs is still alive and vital in our modern world. This is Sangjuicha. A chrysanthemum flower unfurls in the hot water, creating this beautiful amber gold tea, a traditional nourishing brew. And the center is intimately linked to the restaurant world, supplying medicinal herb mixtures to chefs. This could be the most common way for many people to experience medicinal herbs. 用他們中藥行非常專業的方式去熬煮好,然後再給我們餐廳。They use their very professional methods as a traditional apothecary to prepare the soup. They also pair it with a main dish for a restaurant, saving up an enormous amount of preparation time. Through these collaborations with restaurants, we can clearly feel what demand there is for medicinal concoctions. The proportion of consumers coming in has risen 20 or 30 percent. This herb store on Taipei's Dihua Street is pioneering a new approach in the industry and hopes to attract new generations in the door. Turning now to Hualien and a teacher with a mission to support young people. Carpentry teacher Wang Jiana moved to a remote town in Hualien more than two decades ago. He wanted to bring fresh skills into an area where many young people face poverty and lack opportunities. Now he set up a carpentry studio where he can employ his best students. His pupils say he's great at building up their confidence in the demanding work. Earmuffs on, Wang Jiana cuts into this piece of wood with total concentration. He's making a beautiful set of solid wood furniture. Young people are also hard at work in the studio. The students are delighted to show off their creations, filling Wang with pride. He's been teaching woodworking for more than 20 years and now is trying to use the skill to help young people in this rural spot. When I was in my second year at the school, more or less, I realized that our indigenous kids had a talent for artistic creativity in their blood. So I thought, maybe we can learn by doing it, to bring out the kids' motivation to learn. In high school, Wang's abilities won him a gold prize at the Taiwan Skills Competition. And as a student at National Taipei University of Technology, he won gold in both the furniture construction and carpentry rounds at the World Skills Competition. He had a well-paid job at the time, but after a chance meeting, returned to his hometown of Uli in Hualien to become a school teacher. I went there for an internship and I saw the state of education nowadays in the children and the situation of their families, and I thought, Actually, I have a sense of purpose. I want to stay here and spend more time with these children. He suddenly approached me and said, Jia Qian, do you want to try the carpentry class? 
His teaching style makes it easy for students to have a sense of accomplishment. In 2021, Wong retired from teaching early to set up this carpentry studio, giving these young people work opportunities. When I look back on the last 25 years and how I wasn't really able to help these children out of their predicament, I think perhaps it was because there are no industries here. So I've started this up to give it a try. Many students have found their lives changed positively through Wong's carpentry class. Now that he's even helping them get on their feet as professional carpenters, he hopes to see them thrive even more. A video of a man riding an electric kick scooter on the roads of Taipei has incited much debate online regarding what the rules are for these vehicles. Should you ride them on the road or how about on the sidewalk? The answer is neither of the two. Electric kick scooters cannot be ridden on any public thoroughfares. That means no riding on the roads, streets, sidewalks, cycle paths or alleys, among others. The only areas allowed are private land or areas cut off from traffic such as parks and sports field. Violators can face fines of up to 3,600 NT.